0: Listening to a nickel's worth with Keaton Nichols. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's another episode of a nickel's worth. I'm your host, Keaton Nichols. You can check me out on social media at Keaton D Nichols. That's at Keaton D Nichols. Appreciate everyone joining us. We got we're going live on Instagram and Facebook right now. Make sure uh, if you are listening in on either platform that you give this a share on your timelines or on your stories for the day, because you never know who could benefit from this very information, especially on this being a very heavy Monday, uh, heavier than most. Uh, I hope everyone had a great weekend. The news coming out of the weekend was not nearly as positive. Um, There's a situation going on in Atlanta, of course, that we've got to talk about. Um, but, But first, I mean... I, as I was kind of scouring the news and, and looking over the stories for the day and for the weekend, um, of course, and I, I usually watch the evening news um, as well, the world news, the national news, etc. And today, none of the main networks seem to mention 19-year-old activist Toyin Salau, who um, was, a, was a Nigerian activist protesting here in Florida, in Tallahassee before after tweeting she had been sexually assaulted uh, ended up going missing for almost nine days before uh, investigators found her body along with that of Victoria Sims on Saturday night off Monday road in Southeast Tallahassee. Um, They had been murdered. Both her and this woman, Victoria Sims had been murdered by Aaron Glee Jr., a 49 year old who lived in the area a black man as well and i've just i've just been kind of playing the story over and over and and you know trying to figure out what exactly is the analysis here um what is the breakdown of a situation like this and it's oftentimes complex enough that it deserves its own attention and i didn't see that out of what mainstream news networks were covering today. There was, of course, a ton of news, but it was a sort of reminder and a conversation that oftentimes goes on on, on spaces like Twitter and sometimes on Facebook as well uh, about. The sort of support that we have for each other as black men and women during the course of this entire fight. And, you know, something that Dave Chappelle had mentioned in his new stand up special, um, you know, t- was something to the effect of. You know, people oftentimes don't have the capacity to process everything. We're so quick to try and get back uh, to the way that things were um, or to, you know, get back our our, our sports leagues or to get back our shopping. Um, the things that typically will distract us from stories like this. Hearing about a 19 year old who after reaching out saying, look, this ha- I've been sexually assaulted. Here's what the guy looks like. Here's where the guy was. Here's what the guy was driving. And the next that we hear about her, she's she's found dead along the side of a road. It might not seem like we we have the capacity or the energy to fight for this one, considering we have spent the last several weeks at least. Engaged in a conversation about how to bring about true reform in this country. For the racial injustices that have been going on, not just the last month and a half, but for centuries in this country. And it might seem like a lot to also include this as a part of our conversation about how we've got to get better. But when, when it comes to our conversations and our community work as men and women, black men and women. It's critical. It's critical that we stay united on this front. I think. You know, one of the many sad things that I, I, I saw coming out of this story was that I, I thought about who, who was there to protect Toyin. You know, who who was it? Who's, whose job was it, in effect? We know that there are certain individuals and in certain institutions, we've been studying this a lot, that cannot protect us as a people. We've heard that from a number of You know, folks that call themselves a part of the system and a number of those that have constantly been afflicted by the system for years. We've seen that. And and what I couldn't get over was who was supposed to protect her. There's still a lot of details. Yeah, of course. But who was supposed to protect her in that instance? I haven't gotten an answer to that today. And that's. An important conversation that might seem like it's too much for the moment or that we don't have the capacity to do this. But when I tell you. That Toyin's life. And many other black women who have laid down their lives in many instances to protect us as black men. I think that it's more than fair that we ought to open up, not just open up a conversation about supporting black women but making that a a very part of our fiber and our being that we cannot live on. We can't stand to go another moment or another minute until that becomes an integral part of what we do every single day. Cause I don't know this African American man here in Florida that did this horrific thing. I don't, I don't know anything really about him, but I know that if he valued the, the lives of black women in his life, in anyone's life, he wouldn't have done what he did. I know that. And so let's not forget that in a, amidst everything that's going on, that that is a conversation. Absolutely. That maybe we have to have amongst ourselves, but we have to have it either way. Rest in peace. Most certainly to toy and Salau. And also, of course, the woman that died with her that was killed with her rather Victoria Sims. Um who was a retired state worker and also somebody who absolutely was out there pushing and protesting for black lives matter. So we can't forget about that. So lots of heavy news coming in over the weekend. As I said, um, you know, some suspicious things that are going on in the sense of what's happening with a lot of African-American men who seemingly seemingly are turning up, um, you know, in these situations where they're being ruled a suicide, but of course, we know that uh, those situations aren't exactly as they seem. As many as five African-American men that at least that I've heard of over the weekend um, had been declared dead via suicide um, in separate incidents at different parts of the country. There's a situation in Houston. I believe there were two events in Los Angeles that were similar to where these African-American men are, are, are being found hanged. And, and the situation is being ruled... A suicide. It's a part of a system that I find very problematic, a system that we've been talking about at in depth over the last couple of weeks. And conversations about defunding the police have certainly shot off all different types of opinions on the issue. Well, here's what happened over the weekend, um, not over the weekend. Rather, here's what happened recently in Atlanta with a man named Richard Brooks. His death, uh, of course, ruled a homicide after body cameras footage released by the police department uh, today shows the two officers administering a sobriety test for Richard Brooks, who had fallen asleep in his car at a at a Wendy's parking lot. The two officers then try to handcuff him, at which point their body cams fall off. But security camera uh, video shows them struggling with Mr. Brooks on the ground. He then grabs the an officer's taser which is an electric stun gun and breaks free from the officers running away as he's chased. Mr. Brooks is seen turning around and pointing the taser before continuing to run and then being shot. He was shot twice in the back. Of course, as I mentioned before, his death ruled a homicide. And since then, a number of things have happened that ought to be noted in this particular situation. First, Atlanta Mayor, who is a black woman. She goes by Keisha Lance Bottoms. She certainly reacted to this. And we saw that uh, the implementation of new rules that will require officers to use de-escalation tactics prior to using physical or deadly force. All uses of deadly force must also be reported to the city's citizen review board. Officers will also be required to intervene if they see another officer using force, quote, which is beyond reasonable in the given circumstances and must immediately report that force to a supervisor. Keisha Lance Bottoms taking action. We'll come back around to that in just a moment. But uh, from the police themselves, from the actual police officers that were involved themselves. One has been fired. Uh, The police chief there in Atlanta has resigned, essentially in embarrassment, and one has been demoted, in effect, to another job. And so, what does the response to these kind of things? Say about our ability as a society to truly reform the police, which seems to be the alternative to defunding the police. As I'm as I'm watching this argument go down, it seems to be a big, a big split and divide in the water among Democrats, among you know Republicans, black people, white people, general citizens that are just concerned about all of this. Defund the police. Whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds that sounds heavy. That sounds like it's going to make some people uncomfortable, right? But but, rethinking the police or or rethinking the rules that police oftentimes have around their jobs, maybe that is an appropriate alternative to what we see going on. The response to what we are getting from representatives, in my view, is not equal to the atrocities that we are seeing on our TV screens and on our phones. And in our laptops. It's, it's not equal. I saw the entire video of what happened with Rayshard Brooks. And again, it's hard for me to watch this kind of thing. I don't like seeing this any more than the next person. I'm, I'm a big fan of, hey, let's stop showing these entirely. Can we get these banned from TV? Can we stop seeing this on CNN a hundred times looped over and over and over and over all day long? Can we stop that? Anyhow, the response is not equal to what we are seeing in front of us. When we look at that situation, I I just couldn't help but thinking of Richard Brooks, that this man is obviously in some trouble, not trouble by the law's perspective or anything else like that. But this man is in trouble as in he needs help. The man was in obviously intoxicated. He had found himself in the car. The car was not on. He was asleep in the car. Before being taken out by police police officers, they demanded that he take a sobriety test, which, again, is their job as police officers. I feel like that's that's the narrative that gets created around a police officer. Police officer is supposed to show up and say to a person that is sleeping in their car uh, or are or, or supposed to find out from a person who is sleeping in their car whether or not they are sober or not, because according to the law, it's illegal to drive drunk. And if something is illegal, then a police officer is or if somebody is doing something illegal, then a police officer inherently is there to ensure that that person is stopped and or reprimanded or punished for what they did. They're a part of that system, if you will. That's what a police officer is there to do. Now, is it up to the discretion of the police officer what they act what action they actually decide to take when they show up? Absolutely. But discretion is a big deal here. Discretion is something that has been left into the lap of the police officer. We have built a system around police that says, look, there are rules and regulations to what you do, but what you decide to do in that moment is entirely up to you. That's what we have. If we are willing to, in the same breath, accept that there are bad apples in the police department, at the very very least... The bottom line, the bare minimum, if we are willing to accept that there are bad apples in the police department, then we cannot have a system that is predicated on all of those apples, bad or not, making the proper decision about what to do in a situation like we saw in Atlanta just this past week. At the bare minimum, if you want to say that about the police department, that there are bad apples, that cannot happen. What I saw on that video. Were officers that had a choice. About whether or not to do the right thing. And they chose not to do the right thing. That is not something that can be pushed out. That's not something that can be fixed with a simple rule change. As we heard from before, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's not the only mayor, by the way, that is implementing new rules as a way of trying to protect African-American citizens of their city. De-escalation tactics prior to using physical or deadly force. All uses of deadly force must be reported to the city's citizen review board. Well, what about this guy? What about Rashard Brooks? He's already dead. He can't present his case in front of the citizen review board because he's already dead. What are we supposed to say about something like this? What are we supposed to do about something like this? Write another policy? I mean, last week we were talking about uh, you know, no more chokeholds and 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 no knock warrants. No knock warrants. they by the way, they're in Louisville, Kentucky, where they still have not arrested the officers responsible for killing killing Breonna Taylor. I mean, think about this. We're talking about no no knock no more no knock warrants. I need something more effective than that. Officers went Man, this gets me every time. Officers went into Breonna Taylor's home and shot her eight times. I don't know if anyone's ever fired a a, a weapon or know the impact of that kind of moment, but they shot her eight times. Think about it. Bang, 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 bang bang into her body eight times. And we're talking about no more no-knock warrants? Are you serious? When we when we have a conversation about defunding the police, it's not a conversation about punishing the police for the bad things that they've done, although. That would be welcomed and deserved, I think, in this situation, defunding the police is not about punishing police departments. Defunding the police is about redefining what police's role is in our society. That man in Atlanta, Richard Brooks, needed a ride home. He needed to be protected. He needed some help. And the only, the only people that were available to respond to what happened to Rashard Brooks were people that have the discretion about whether or not to shoot Rashard Brooks in the back if he ever decided to run away or not. There's something inherently wrong with that entire system, the entire culture behind it. Forget rule changes. Forget no more no-knock warrants. When we talk about defunding the police, we're talking about destroying a system that is quite literally aimed at destroying us as African Americans in this country. I don't mince my words here. I'm not saving this, or there's not some special exemption for the good police officers. There's not some special exemption if your police department seems to be okay, but other ones are still problematic. There is no special special section for them here. What it means to redefine the police in this country could very well be what saves my kids someday. I don't even have any kids. But it's something I got to think about. I can't keep protesting and I can't keep beating my head into the wall and saying of myself, I hope, I hope the police officer that interacts with me or my brother or my mother or my family or my kids in the future, I just hope that they're not one of the bad apples. I don't like those odds. I think that we're all underneath the pressure of those odds every single day, and it doesn't really seem to matter what rule changes are there. You can't choke him out? Well, I guess I'll put a knee on his back. I can't put a knee on his back? Well, I guess I'll shoot him while he runs away. what we're talking about here. It's, we have to think of this from a more logical perspective. It's something that makes more sense for our communities. While I might employ the services, let's say, of a large dog or a wolf, let's say, with very sharp teeth, if I can train that wolf, I might employ the services of that wolf to go hunting other dangerous animals. They might be pretty good at helping me hunt dangerous animals. But what I'm not going to do is, I'm not going to hire that wolf. I'm not going to employ that wolf to babysit my children. I'm not going to allow that wolf to be alone with young, my young kids. And then say, well, it's the wolf's discretion about whether or not he wants to kill my kids or not. But I'm going to leave that up to the wolf. That's what we've said of police departments in our country they're wolves capable of very dangerous things. But when they're put into a situation that requires care instead of force, they seem to fail again and again and again when it comes to people that look like me. How am I supposed to be okay with that? How am I supposed to feel comfortable with incremental change because of that? I can't. That's what upsets me. When I look at the news and, and and when I look at everything that's going on, I say to myself, I can no longer go back to the way that things were ever again. That in this moment, a moment in time that is critical to change and to bringing about change, we can't pass this up. I can't imagine in six months going, hey, you remember when all that stuff was happening all around the country in the wake of the death of, of George Floyd? You remember that? I can't imagine myself saying that because from now on, I I can't let this go. I can't go back to normal life. I'd love to see basketball and football and sports. I'm a big sports fan. But if we had to shut down sports for the next 5, 10 years, 15 years, maybe forever, as a way of solving this, sign me up. Sign me up. There's a number of players in the NBA and NFL that are having this conversation right now in part about whether or not they should return to what they do every day. Return to normalcy and some sense of normalcy so that we all can return to that pattern of normalcy as well Something to take our minds off of what is going on here That's not where our minds need to be our minds need to be on this every single day every hour of every day until we are so Uncomfortable until we are so disturbed and so moved that we actually do something Not symbolic not post something online something real De-escalation tactics, not enough. Not enough. I think what's going on in Minneapolis in the conversation around dismantling that police department and instituting something else entirely is a process that ought to be going on in every city in America because every city in America has a problem with this. We can't let this go. The officers that killed Breonna Taylor are still walking free. It may be several more days before any action is taken against these Atlanta police officers. We have to not only keep the pressure up, but we have to make what we are seeing in front of us, white people, black people, everyone. We have to make it an inherent part of who we are. This is not a trend that we can dip inside and say, hey, I pushed for Black Lives Matter for a couple of months. I did my job. This is, this is not some cool social trend that we can say, hey, remember the names of blah, 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 blah. No, because I don't want that to happen again where we have this period of time where we remember the names and then we go back to normal. And then we have, you know, LeBron score 45 in the finals and everyone loses their minds. And forgets that there's real issues out here. This is a real time to address these issues right now. I just can't rest until we we focus on this. All right. Uh, rant over for the day. I appreciate everyone uh, for joining in uh, on the conversation. Make sure you give this a share on your timelines. Please leave your commentary. Uh, if you have some, I'll read over a few comments uh, right now. Of course, on Facebook and on Instagram, if you feel so moved let's get started on uh on facebook here uh leonard richardson comments in and says good evening good evening leonard i appreciate you joining me man i appreciate you've always been listening to me i appreciate that uh dave mcgowan comments in and says i spoke with a black man today and he stated that the gentleman in atlanta deserved to be shot and die and that the police shouldn't be defunded because black neighborhoods deserve to be policed in this matter manner rather because we are we brought it on ourselves and he says that's very sad and i agree that that is very sad that people feel like that. And and the, the sad part about that is, is that there are African-American men and women that some that feel this way, too. It's not they're certainly not in the majority, but they exist. They exist exactly what you're talking about here, Dave. And And I actually had a conversation with somebody the other day, and they said that they felt overwhelmed because while it seemed... It was easy to identify the white people that didn't exactly value uh, black lives. It was kind of easy to identify those when when you found out that there's somebody black that also doesn't I doesn't value black lives. It hurts even more, maybe twice as much. Because you think to yourself, oh, my goodness, how could you possibly have come up with this conclusion? Being a black person in America, how could you possibly have come up with this conclusion Malcolm X talks a lot about how much systems, in effect, have taught us as African-Americans to hate ourselves. Man, Malcolm was just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. And I suggest anyone that is looking for some inspiration in this moment, by the way, and is looking to see to see, has there been anyone that has spoken on this in the past? Where can I go for guidance? What should I do in this moment? Listen to yourself. uh, Some Malcolm X speeches. They're all on Spotify. You can get them on YouTube. Find it and listen, really listen to what he's saying. It's, it's freaky because it's like he could have done it last week, could have done the speech last week, and it's just as relevant. But this is a part of that, right? What value do we see in ourselves? We say that black lives matter, right? But what value do we see in ourselves as well? Do we think to ourselves, we see these images of us being killed so much and so often on TV that maybe we did deserve that? I, I already hear people saying, well, he shouldn't have ran away. <laughs> what? He shouldn't have struggled with the police officers. And and where in there does that do, do we get the deserving of being shot twice in the back as he ran away? Where do we get that? Don't just be a fan and don't just support people that you can morally defend in some argument in an argument with some people that have no idea what the value of black lives. Don't do that. Don't pick and choose which black lives are valuable. Don't say, well, black on black crime. Don't do that. Because what you are doing inherently is you're saying that, look, my people are worth less. And to some groups, they're worthless entirely. Going back to my first story, I'm talking talking about the 19 year old Nigerian activist uh, Toyin Salau that was that was killed in Florida. There's a responsibility there. You have to understand the value of her life to be upset And to want to take action based upon what happens there, you have to understand the value of black life. And there's too many of us as African-Americans that don't. We don't believe in ourselves and we don't believe in people that look look like us either. This is sometimes the case and it's very unfortunate. We've got to see that. We've got to understand that. And don't let anyone else define that for you. Thanks for the comment, Dave. Uh, he said also we should stop crying over spilled milk. Um, I don't know what that was in reference to, but let me know at the end of the comments and I'll get right to it. Uh, Gina Del Rio comments and I appreciate you, Gina. She says, what should district attorney's offices be doing from your perspective? And Legislators. um, I think that this is a major key. I think district attorneys have oftentimes played the role of, um, you know, they, they play a public role of being this character or this person that is there to prosecute you know, crimes that happen in your city or I guess in your area, however you want to look at it. They're the ones that are responsible. Their office is responsible for leading out the legal process that is going to hold people who have committed crimes out on the street accountable for what they did. And I think if you think about that from a very raw definition and just a very raw perspective, what we saw, for instance, in Atlanta um, this past week, that was the kind of behavior that the district attorney ought to be looking at and saying of themselves, this is wrong. And I, as somebody who prosecute things that are wrong and, and protect the public by keeping those perpetrators off the streets, I, as that person, need to take a serious look at people who work in my office. Technically, police officers are all a part of the same team as district attorneys, prosecutors, etc. They're all on the same team. And I think if there's anything that district attorney's offices ought to be doing, it's separating that line of of friendship or I don't know what quite uh, maybe uh, companionship that disallows them to be able to see these officers actions as criminal. I think that can happen in a number of ways in Philadelphia. um, The district attorney there used to be a defense attorney, Larry Krasner. He's been extremely progressive on these kinds of issues and has continually, I mean, we know over there in Philadelphia that he's no friend, the police are no friend of his, he's no friend of the police as a defense attorney for all those years. But I think one of those things that he's able to see because he's not hell bent on the idea of protecting police officers at all costs and sort of shaping and shifting a narrative uh, about who is doing crime, I think that that helps. I think that that absolutely helps. Um, But the district attorney's offices cannot be so closely tied with the police officers that they also need to hold to the same standard that they hold regular people to as well. I think that is one thing. But, uh, Gina, also, I think that is a conversation as well that expands out and has multiple layers. Um, And that's something that maybe uh, you and I can talk about on a program Um, Leading up into the future, I would love to talk about how we can we can sort of systemically root out some of those issues, and there are many of them, uh, in the connections between many district attorney's offices uh, and the police officers that are, uh, of course, tasked with bringing folks in, in so many words uh katie peter's comments and thank you for the comment Gina. i appreciate it katie peter's comments and it says your analogy about the wolf reminds me of an article my brother sent me you're right if you train someone to use lethal force that will be their go-to reaction um i heavily believe in this i heavily believe in this P- police training um is a part of the reason why I look at the change that is needed in America when it comes to police and African Americans. I look at it as look at it as systemic, right? If we if we are training police officers to be able to take things to level 10, as in they they are trained to end someone's life if necessary. If that's what we're training them to do, then why are we then why are we using police in the same way that we are using police right now when George Floyd used, allegedly, used a fake $20 bill to pay um, for whatever he was trying to pay for at that store in Minneapolis. Why was the group that has been trained to kill people at level 10, right, when, you know, use, use of force is necessary. Why are we sending that group to go deal with the situation, right? If he didn't have the proper note, if you will, to pay for what he needed to pay for then I don't understand why we need to call someone in that's capable of inflicting deadly force. Where's where's the emergency here? In Atlanta, this man needed a ride home. He needed an Uber. That's what he needed. He did not need police. He did not he did not need um a, a, an entity, a body there that is capable of quite literally killing people, not just capable, but trained to that's a systemic issue, because if we if we say to ourselves, well, we shouldn't send police out in situations like that, then we have totally redefined what it means to be a police officer. I don't you know, if, if, if my taillight is out, I don't want somebody who has the opportunity to shoot me in the face and to be defended by many people after that, I don't want that person pulling me over and telling me that my taillight is out. You know, it would be nice for somebody, uh, maybe who was a, an electrician or a mechanic, that could say, Hey, I could either fix that for you, or I can guide you and direct you to a place where you can get that fixed. If you don't have the money to do it, or if you don't have the means or resources to do it, we can help out with that too. But how often have black and brown people been pulled over? for things like expired registration. I've been in this position before. I've had guns pulled on me. Man, that was a scary night. I've had guns pulled on me because the car that I was was riding in, full of black people, by the way, had an expired registration. Guns were pulled on us. A car full of unarmed people. I had just graduated college in the last two years. More than I could say for any of the officers that pulled us over, by the way. Oh, because we you better believe we talked to them, with them afterwards. But is that really necessary? If my registration is expired, isn't there some other group that can come in and let me know, hey, man, your registration's expired. You could possibly face a fine for this. Is it worth my life? No. But what we are saying is that these officers who are trained in some situations to kill someone, we are leaving it up to them to, you know, not kill someone. And we've seen that they're capable of doing this. There's plenty of stories that we can juxtapose up against these ones of stories where there have been people who are not black. Who have gone so far as to even attack police officers in some instances. Forget stealing a taser. How about inflicting physical harm on a police officer? And that person was not shot. They were not tased. They were not detained in any sort of violent way. So we know that there's the they have the ability to, and what the the big problem that a lot of us have that are protesting all around the country, a big problem that we have is that we have left it up to discretion, and discretion is killing us. It's just us. We can't have both in the same area. It just doesn't work. Whew! Thank you for the comment. I appreciate it, Katie, as always. Um. Leonard Richardson comments and he says, as long as you have racist people like Nesby running things, you're always going to have these problems. Now, John McNesby is uh, the uh, FOP uh, head president, I'm sorry, there in Philadelphia. He has been an opponent of progress for years. And the way that these these kinds of things are set up, you know, these cities are making negotiations oftentimes with a, a union chief like. John McNesby, in the case of Philadelphia, in this police union, this union rep essentially is saying, look, we're not going to negotiate a new deal with the city unless our officers are allowed to police a certain way. Unless our officers are allowed to use their discretion that we train them on to be able to keep calm and peace around the city. That's oftentimes in a nutshell what these negotiations boil down to. And oftentimes why cities have very little power in actually affecting real change. Because they've got to negotiate with. How should I say this nicely? People like John McNesby. That seem to think that their jobs and that their role in the culture of being a police officer is more important than black lives. That has been made abundantly clear. And also individuals like FOP President John McNesby also reinforce the behavior that we've been seeing on camera in some cases over the last couple of weeks, just in the last couple of weeks alone. They reinforce that because these officers know that they can use their discretion and they can kill somebody. They can kill a kid, a 17-year-old kid in East Pittsburgh. They can shoot him as he's running away. And the idea will be, well, if my discretion was that I was fearing for my life or that I felt that this needed to be done, then it's A-OK. That's the definition of police. When we say defund the police, that's what we're talking about dismantling. That if you can't get that, if you can't understand that, and do some more reading on it, because I promise eventually you will, especially if you're black. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, he said that we should. Oh, this is Dave commenting back in. He says, uh, he said that we should. Oh, you're referencing the person that you were talking to. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Um, He goes on to say African-Americans make only make up 8% of some colleges. And it's our fault that we don't apply to college because education is free. Uh, Conversation definitely about education. I don't want to necessarily squeeze that or throw that into this one because we'll be on for another 45 minutes um, or so just going over that kind of stuff. But um, that is a conversation day that we'll come back around to when it comes to African-Americans in higher learning. Higher learning. William Fowler comments and appreciate you listening well. He says, not capable, trained to write. Um, in reference to, you know, how they handle something. Um, we do know that there is a possibility that officers could have, like I said, in this situation in Atlanta, could have called this guy an Uber. Um, but that's not what they're trained to do. Not in the police academy, at least. Not not from what I know of the police academy. Maybe I'm wrong. Please someone correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just what I've noticed. Uh, Appreciate the comment though. will Um, Amanda comments in and says, I had a conversation today where the black on black crime in Philly was brought up and that it was the and it was, quote, the issue. I addressed that immediately. But there are folks out there who believe that that's who believe that's the focus when it's way bigger than that. Um, I agree. Uh, Black on black crime, obviously, it's so for so many years has been used as, you know, sort of the scapegoat. For, you know, escaping conversations about real reform. Um, and I see spacklings of that coming up with this situation in Atlanta. With just so many people saying, look, you know, it, 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 he shouldn't have. Right. He shouldn't have done this thing. Almost as if, you know, these sort of actions, these non-lethal actions are considered egregious enough to take a man's life that's the real conversation right and that's sitting like over here the conversation about black on black crime is like way over there way over there and oftentimes whenever we're forced to try and think of these things together in one big issue people understandably get confused and discouraged because one has absolutely nothing to do with the other but it is an issue that I think a lot of people will jump to defend the lives of police officers or defend police officers rather when they take a black life because of something like that. Well, you know, you know how they are, right? That's something that affects everyone. That affects me. I've I've never done anything wrong, as I've said. But I had, I've had guns pulled on me by police officers not once but twice in the same city within like a four and a half years, within a two and a half year span rather. Why? Because of notions like that. When people start saying, hey, what about black on black crime? You're criminalizing the entire community. You're saying you never know what the police officer rather never knows what kind of black person that they're running into. And if we can't tell the difference between the dangerous black people and the safe black people, then shouldn't we just shoot them all? I know that's not what directly is being said, but that's a very heavy undertone as to what's happening when you bring up black on black crime. Black people, I would implore you as well, if you ever find yourself in this conversation and someone says, hey, what about black on black crime? Do not entertain this foolishness because you are quite literally putting your own life at risk by you acknowledging that in any way, shape or form that black on black crime has any significant value in the conversation about protecting black lives from murderous police. Then you are enabling yourself to become one of the dangerous people, one of the dangerous perceived dangerous black people that police officers run into all the time. So stop it. It's ridiculous. I appreciate the comment, Amanda, as well. And please continue to have those conversations and when and and when you can, because you're not going to be able to stop everyone from thinking that you're not going to be able to prevent everyone from thinking that. You've got to do what you can within your own house, within your own sphere of influence, if you will. And sometimes that might happen on social media. Sometimes it might happen in real life conversations. But control what you can control. I've stopped trying to beg other people um, for respect. I I, I stopped having. Uh, I, I stopped pushing to get other people and other groups to respect me. I'm worthy of respect. I know that. You can't convince me otherwise. And for me to to, to, to you know, blow a gasket, trying to convince you of that same kind of thing is not worth my sanity and my happiness. What happiness that I can actually find in a, in a country like this, after hearing what we've been hearing at least for the last month and a half or so. And what's been going on in this country for the last several hundred years. If I want to find my happiness, I cannot seek it through other people's approval. If you don't respect me, that's your problem. And until we can get to a point where everyone is respected, I want us to continually, not just think about, but take action in dismantling systems that at least at the very minimum encourage behavior like this. I kind of like living A lot. And I want everyone who looks like me to have that same opportunity to just be able to live. And these uncomfortable conversations that we've been having over the last couple of weeks are a foray for a lot of people into how we get that change to actually happen in this country. Buckle up, folks. We're in this for the long haul. I don't want this. I don't want us to forget about any of this stuff in a month or in two months or in six months or in a year. I can't get out of my head and I hope that you feel the same way and that we're going to keep it in our heads until we get change. Thank you for everyone who joined me on the program. I appreciate all the really great comments that I got tonight. Don't forget you can listen live every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 8 p.m. Right here uh, on Facebook and on my Instagram. Make sure you go like our Facebook page as well. It's called A Nickel's Worth. You can keep updated on everything that we've got going on. And sneak preview for those folks that are still on. I appreciate you joining us next. Uh, next Monday we're going to be having a sit down, uh, of course, with our friend Philip Browntree, um, another host and uh, a podcaster who's talking about the issues as well. We're going to have a uh, meet up next monday as well to talk about some things a special edition of a nickel's worth um as well coming up next monday so make sure you are there for that and please give this a share on your timelines if you feel someone else could use this information i will see everyone on wednesday everybody stay safe thanks for listening to a nickel's worth to hear more episodes and help support the podcast by giving a monthly donation go to anchor.fm slash a nickel's worth and click the support button